Welcome to the Sport Feels Life podcast, where we're bringing you interviews with coaches and athletes at the top of their game. This is a community to support coaches, athletes, and fans who share a passion for making the world a better place through athletics. We are serving our community and providing a variety of resources to grow and win as a team in the sports we play and the life we live. We are your hosts. I'm Ashley. And I'm Megan. And we're so excited to bring you all things Sport Feels Life. The Sport Feels Life podcast is excited to bring you the Mizuno Volleyball Series. Over the next three episodes, we'll be speaking with Mizuno athletes who have made it to the pinnacle of sport. Each athlete brings different stories and experiences to our conversation. One experience they share is they all have chosen to represent the Mizuno brand. Mizuno has been an elite performance brand for decades, helping volleyball athletes attain peak performance on and off the court. Shop now at MizunoUSA.com. Tri Bourne is a professional beach volleyball player, former professional indoor player, and NCAA Division I men's volleyball player for the USC Trojans. He's a native Hawaiian, born on the Hawaiian island of Oahu, where he grew up. Fun fact, both his parents are tri-athletes. Tri is endorsed by Mizuno, this episode's sponsor. After this episode, be sure to visit MizunoUSA.com for more information. And now, here's our conversation with professional men's volleyball player, Tri Bourne. All right. Hey, Tri. Welcome to the show. We're so glad you're here. Hello, hello. Yeah, I'm uh, stoked to be here. Where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you guys from Los Angeles. I'm a few blocks from the beach where I spend most of my time. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks for being here. Um, for our listeners who may not know you yet, would you please just give us a quick background, uh, maybe like your journey from discovering your talent in the sport and all the way up to where you are today? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in Hawaii, um, Honolulu, Hawaii. And I'm actually headed back there um, in two days. I'm excited about that. But I'm born and raised out there. Uh, some of my family's still out there. And there's just a really rich volleyball culture in Hawaii. Uh, a lot of it's based around the university. There's, you know, there's no pro sports out there. But so, so people gather around the university sports a lot. And uh, I grew up at this beach club called Outrigger Canoe Club. And um, it just so happens to be that some of the best volleyball players to come out of Hawaii have, have somehow all come out of this club. And, and I happen to grow up with their kids or, you know, nieces, nephews, cousins. Um, I just grew up around them because my mom was a canoe paddler for the club. So I grew up in a really rich volleyball environment and I was kind of a beach rat. So I just got dropped off at the beach and I hung out there all day. So uh, naturally, I just went to the volleyball court and played there with my friends a lot and then started getting into the high school level and, and um, succeeded indoors, which got me to USC. And that got me loving, you know, playing at a really high level and, and trying to push myself and see how far I could actually take this. Um, and then so I played overseas indoors for a little while because there's more opportunity indoors to play um, for men at least in college um, than there is to go play beach and I did that for about two years I played in Turkey and Puerto Rico and then I had I, I kept coming back to the beach I always loved the beach game and I felt like 
my I was better on the beach to be honest um and I came out um just to train during the summers and met up with one of the top pros and he ended up asking me if I wanted to play with him so I quit indoors and I've been playing beach uh for seven or eight years since then and I'm not looking back at all so try you were essentially born into this volleyball environment coming from Hawaii and just being surrounded by such great volleyball players at an early stage in life. So I'm curious, did you have any sports heroes that inspired you to pursue this game or did you have any mentors who just inspired you to keep pursuing this volleyball career? Yeah. Uh, well, early on I was never like trying to be a volleyball player. Nobody in my family had played volleyball. Uh, the people that I looked up to were like, you know, NFL football players and NBA, just kind of like the, the typical um, superstar American athletes. Um, and I've always loved sports. Like my family, my, both my parents taught PE, uh, you know, so I grew up with basically a PE office in my garage. As I got further and further, into my volleyball career where I started to take it a little more seriously. I, I went and looked at, you know, the professional tour. I got to watch a little bit on TV and I saw that there were some guys from Hawaii on tour. So those guys kind of became my role models. Sean Scott, Mike Lambert, Stein Metzger, Kevin Wong, you know, there's, there's actually a few more. Um, but it was basically those guys who, who grew up in the same environment as me and made it to that level. Got, they got to make playing beach volleyball, which is what I did every day just for fun, a, a living. You know, they got to do it forever until they were much older. So I think those are the guys that I looked up to. That's so cool. How about like, let's talk about coaching on a level of like you're sitting underneath certain coaches throughout this process because we do have a huge club volleyball section yeah. of our community and a lot of them are coaches. I'm wondering, like, as, a, as an athlete sitting underneath a coach, maybe could you share some experiences that you've had that were positive or something that you think could have been done better or maybe even, like, something that you're experiencing today as an elite athlete that you wish you had known then? Well, I mean, coaching in general is, is, has been so key in, in my growth. And when I look back on it, I, I realize that most of it, almost all of it at the youth level is all kind of voluntary, right? These coaches are not making enough to make a living if they're making anything at all. You know, they're really just doing it for the love of teaching the next generation, passing on the knowledge and kind of vicariously playing through the athletes, I'm sure. But uh, for me, it's, I've been so fortunate. Like I said, I grew up in a really volleyball rich environment. So, um, for example, one of my good friends that I also played soccer with, uh, he, his dad is Dave Shoji, who is one of the winningest female indoor volleyball coaches of all time, the head coach of the University of Hawaii. And so I just naturally got to go play on his volleyball team as a kid. And uh, Dave kind of took me under his wing, me and a bunch of other friends, and taught us the game from a really young level. Um, and it was all just because he wanted to give back to his kid, obviously, who's our, uh, his two kids who are both on our national team right now. Um, but uh, he and his wife also volunteered to coach us for years. And um, they just graciously gave us that knowledge. And that's definitely something that I look to do, uh, look to do one day. 
Um, but it goes well beyond just the coaches that have that elite um, experience. You know, you don't have to be the best coach in the world. There were so many coaches that taught me so much. Uh, my basketball coaches, my soccer coaches, my paddling coaches, um, you name it. They all kind of had something else to bring to the table, whether it was teaching me respect, how to, how to be a good teammate. You know, they didn't have to know the X's and O's necessarily of the sport at an extremely high level, but they told me, they taught me things that I'm 100% still using to this day. I mean, for example, one of my basketball coaches in high school was a state senator, and his um, adopted son went to my high school, and we didn't have a basketball coach. We, I only had like 100 kids in my school from sixth grade to 12. And uh, so he just volunteered to be a basketball coach. And we were just kind of going out there and trying to, you know, figure it out as we go. Um, but he taught me, you know, just as much as any other coach because he was just giving me his time and teaching me things that go way beyond the court. And those are the things in hindsight that I'm really grateful for. Um, and I think, you know, looking back and knowing that people – sacrifice their time to you know teach me whatever experiences they had to bring to the table that just makes me really grateful and uh it's kind of humbling in hindsight to know that people kind of had my back from a young age and um, like i said i it i definitely want to try to pass that on um, or pay it forward to the next generation Wow, those are some great stories. Thank you for sharing. I guess kind of to keep touching on this topic of coaching and you can see how, you know, at a younger age, the coach's role in an athlete is to introduce them to the sport and teach them basic knowledge, give them good experience. But you've mentioned coaches from different sports teaching you lessons that are beyond the sport. So I guess I'm curious, in your opinion, as you evolve and move up the chain to higher level competition in the sport, what's the greatest asset or tool that a coach can provide you with today or even at your um, collegiate career to kind of bridge that gap to playing recreationally and for fun, but just at a higher level? Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's crazy. You start to realize after having so many coaches that there's no perfect coach, right? There's no one guy that has everything the best. You know, some coaches are going to be better at one thing. Some are going to be better at others. And um, a unique thing about beach volleyball is that we create our own team, essentially, right? So I'm the player. I have to find a partner first. And then we hire a coach together. And I've done this a few times now. And it's interesting when you're hiring your own coach because you're really trying to figure out how this coach plays to your strengths and whatnot. So, for example, my current coach is, he's pretty much good at everything. I can't say that he's bad at anything, but he's, he's the only coach on, in the world that has experience on the court at the highest level. So he's, he's a Hall of Famer. His name's Jose Loyola. And uh, he's one of the greatest players of all time. And I felt like about, you know, six, seven years into my career that I was, I had the X's and O's, I had the technique and, you know, we're still constantly working on that foundation and he knows that. But what this coach had was something that I was missing, which was to take that next step to being one of the best teams in the world to being the best team in the world. And that's the journey that we're on right now. 
And I, I felt like, you know, which coach could help me take that step? And who else is better to do that than a guy who's actually been there? And when we're standing out there on the court in a big situation, he's not you know, in any way showing me that he's satisfied with, wow, we got here. This is great. It's no, he's, fo he's as focused as he wants me to be. And I can kind of mirror that on the court. Basically that our team now has everything that at least I think um, we need to put together to take that next step and um, become not only one of the best teams, but the best team. Yeah, it sounds like you've really got your head around where your goals are. Let's talk about goal setting a little bit as an elite player, even as a like a high school or college player. How do you go about setting goals for yourself and your team and going like through this the process of achieving those goals? Yeah, well, it's it's tricky. So, I think the first thing to that I've realized probably later in my career is that you know, you have to set your personal goals, but they're only going to work if they work within the team goals. And I can have my personal goals of I want to go win the Olympics and I want to do this and this and this. But if my teammate has different goals, we're not going to get there. And I can be stubborn about it. Like, no, I'm going towards this goal. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how, how, how much I want it. If we're not doing it together, it's not going to happen. Right. So uh, you kind of have to take a step back and realize like, OK, I, I put together this team for a reason. I partnered up with this guy for a reason. I have to trust him. I have to trust my coach. And then we all have to come together and agree. And even if that means I take a step off of my ultimate goal to um, align with that team goal, then I totally believe that that's what needs to happen. Um, or else it's kind of a waste of time and really a, a waste of energy where, when you have two guys kind of pulling in different directions. But I'm all about trying to get that, I guess, synergistic approach where everyone's energy is just moving in the same direction towards one thing that we agreed on. Um, and then breaking it down from there. Obviously, I'm going to have my personal goals um, in terms of the kind of shape I want to get in, the kind of leader I want to be, the kind of teammate I want to be, um, where I want my personal skills, how I want to prioritize volleyball versus family and, and those other extracurricular things. Um, but it all needs to come together into that team goal. And uh, I mean, you can break it down to, to every week or every day, you know, where the idea is to make as many of your actions when you're at work, which is volleyball for me, every action needs to be moving you in the right direction. And, and the more you break it down to, um, you know, just simplified goals, the, the easier it becomes um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So, but it's really hard right now with COVID because, for example, um, you know, we had our three AVP events earlier this year, but that was a three-week season for us. We were supposed to be playing the whole year. So a lot of us have been trying to spend a lot of time figuring out how to um, prioritize or, you know, put intention behind our workouts and training. Like, what, what are we training for? We want to have intention behind everything we do. Uh, and it's been really hard. So we came together as a team and set goals 
uh, in terms of what we wanted to accomplish during this really, really long off season. And we, we created basically what we came up with was that we had done so much training to lead up to our competition, our, our big year that we we're going to try to qualify for Olympics and play in the Olympics. Um, that we were ready to compete. We, we, it, it would have burned us out to keep, keep doing drills. So we came together and decided we wanted to compete. And we, you know, bet against each other. We put money on the line at practice. We created, actually, we have a YouTube video coming out soon of, of one of the um, events that we put on without any fan. We didn't tell anyone about it, um, although people started gathering. But we had a bunch of players come down and throw down 200 bucks each and a few more people threw in money just so we could compete and, and um, create that competitive environment for ourselves. Um, and so that's what, that's what we did. We wanted to compete until the end of October. And uh, so I just finished. And now, now we're going to reset our goals. We actually have a team meeting tomorrow. So it's funny that we mentioned that. We're all going to come together, have lunch, and figure out how we want to spend our off season. And uh, you know, a lot of that is like planning out when we want to rest and don't think about volleyball. You know, that's totally a really important part of it. Just focus on family, focus on um, you know, relaxation and, and whatnot, because we know that we have a really tough road ahead. So, you know, the the more intention you can have behind um, all of your actions when you go out there, not just to play, just to do something and then come out of practice like, oh, I don't know, maybe I got better. I played volleyball, though. I feel like a lot of people get sucked into that. And at the most elite level, you can't really afford to to have a practice where you didn't improve in some way or another towards your common team goal. All that is such great information. Thanks for sharing. I know it sounds like you guys have done a great job of adjusting to these crazy changes in your entire season and just being adaptable is huge and all the while maintaining that overall vision and staying together as a team for you guys is huge. So I'm curious for other players or coaches at, you know, maybe different levels, what's a good technique for them to make sure their goals are staying aligned and then for them to make progress towards those goals? Um, I think it comes down to, communication really so first of all getting on the same page um talking to each other and figuring out not only what where you personally want to go but where do we all want to go and then how does that tie together so it's really about communicating that so that now you know let's say we started the first practice of the season and we all know what our intentions are and how why we're doing this drill and for me personally like I can't have a coach running me through drills if I don't know why we're doing it. If I'm standing there and I'm just like, what's the point of this? I don't, I don't get it. Like my energy just sucks out of me and I like don't want to do it anymore. Not that I won't do it because I, you know, you trust your team, but um, I think everyone needs to be on the same page in terms of why you're doing certain things. Um, and then a big key would be just checking in. So if, if I'm a coach of let's say an indoor team, I'm checking in, weekly at the end of every practice on Friday. All right. Did we, did we get better? Did we move towards our goals, you know, and, and kind of celebrate that as a team. And then when you come back around on Monday, you kind of set the goals for the team or for the week. Right. 
And that weekly goal moves towards that ultimate vision later on. And it kind of breaks down. You could do it all the way down to each single day, right? Um, but I think it's easier when you break a whole year down or a season down into weeks and then days. And, and they don't have to be really long or lengthy either. It's just checking in, like, even if it's a 30-second conversation. All right, we remember this is what we're trying to accomplish today. This is what we're trying to accomplish this week. All right, let's go. You know, it, it can be as simple as that, but just make it, it just helps you all stay on the same page and have that kind of synergy. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of synergy, how much do you feel like mental health and wellness plays into that piece for you? Oh man, yeah, that's, it's huge. You know, so I have, I had some health issues in 2017 and 18 where I actually couldn't play volleyball for two years. And I took a lot of that time to kind of learn more about the mental health side of things and work on mindfulness. And because I always knew that that was such an important part of sport, but I didn't really, I guess I used the excuse that, that it was hard to find the time to do it, right? So when I was out, I, I got to spend more time doing it. And I realized that it was, it was such a huge part of the game. I mean, it's easily, I don't know percentage wise, but it's easily like a third of what we do out there is the whole mental side of it, right? Or you almost can't access what you practiced if you don't have the mental side of the game set and, and dialed in. So for me, it's huge. I think it's something that you have to practice. It's, it becomes a habit and you can also fall out of that habit as well. And I'm talking about like mindfulness and it doesn't have to be meditation, but more mindfulness where so, so we work with a sports psych, psychologist as a team, um, and we do a lot of exercises where we're just practicing being aware of where our head is at. And there's so many different ways to do that, whether, you know, paying attention to different senses, um, just paying attention to thoughts, you know, your smell, your sight, your, you know, anything. It's just being aware so that when we get into a game, we can quickly be aware of our head leaving right and that's basically at the highest level it's about one or two points and and it can really come down to whose mental state leaves for the longest period of time and even if that's 30 seconds so for us it's about checking back in especially in a sport where there's one point but then you have like a 15 second nothing going on right so it's easy to just check out but for us, it's more like we need to stay in the zone during the, those 15 seconds. And if, and if we find our, our attention going somewhere else, we need to be able to bring it back within those 15 seconds so that when the whistle blows, we're right back in that, in that um, ideal state of mind. Um, but it goes beyond the court as well. I think just mental health in general, um, most people deal with some kind of anxiety. I mean, it's just a human thing to, to be anxious or to feel any of those sort of negative things, uh, thoughts or whatever it might be. Um, so it's just a, a great practice to become more aware of where your head is at and then try to, um, once you become more aware, you can then control uh, your, your mental state. And if, if you can control your mental state, then you can control your physical state as well. Um, I, I did some, you know, I read some books on that kind of stuff and I'm fully sold on the fact that that's true. You know, I mean, look at when you're driving, you know, if you lose your temper, all of a sudden your heart's beating, 
Like that's a physical thing that came from your head and it probably didn't even exist. So uh, I think that it's really important, especially with relationships. And I have a one-year-old daughter now, so to not let, you know, a kid who's going to be screaming at everything because they don't know what's going on in the world um, affect your physical state. It, it can be draining. You just have to do your best with it. And, um, but I, I think it's definitely a practice worth practicing. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. As far as like noticing that you're maybe spaced out during one of those 15 second moments, how do you quickly get back and snap yourself back into the game? When I notice my head going somewhere, I, I think I realize that a part of me wants to stay attached to that thought and let it, that train of thought keep going. And I think I really just have to, had to develop and I'm continuing to develop uh, the ability to let go of that thought and just be like, okay, it's gone. There's going to be more thoughts. It's, it's a never ending process, but right now we got to get back to where, where we're at. And it also comes down to just checking in, right? Once you check in, then you can check out of that frame of thought and get, or uh, that uh, train of thought and then get back to where you want it to be. So it's just like building a habit of checking in on yourself, um, which is where that awareness comes from. The power of the mind is just so incredible. And that's one thing I love to see in sports, especially at this level, is just the ability to focus, as you mentioned, and then the ability to let go. Those are seemingly easy tasks, but it's you have zero room for error in your games. Um, so I'm curious, do you have any pre-competition rituals that you do just to set into that routine to keep things as normal as possible um, so that you can play your best and manage your nerves? Yeah, I usually try to actually do um, some breath work beforehand. Uh, like I said, it's, it's kind of a habitual thing. So if, if I can do it every day before practice, then it'll be easier for me to snap into it uh, when game time comes. I'll, I'll just sit by myself and do some breath work you know, it's hard when you first start doing it. You don't want people to see you and you, you're worried about like looking weird and, you know, whatnot. But the more I do it, the more I kind of try to challenge myself and put myself in front of people. And if I can relax into that, then it's training me to relax into not caring or having any judgment in front of a crowd or on TV. So for me, yeah, just doing a little bit before practice, before games, um, it's like a workout, right? Uh, by the end of the year, if I've done it before every practice and game, I've worked out my mind a lot throughout the year and, and that all adds up. But I mean, the breath work helps too, because I think it, it relaxes you and, and kind of oxygenates your blood. So that is another benefit for sure. Yeah, that certainly helps you with awareness right out of the gate. Exactly. Oxygen is definitely a key. <laughs> yes, we all need it. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about your partnership with Mizuno and maybe talk about how that came to be. I know a lot of pro athletes and elite athletes in your situation have sponsorships and things like that. So uh, maybe just talk about what you love about them and, and how it all came to be. Yeah, I mean, partnering with a company like Mizuno is, it's like a childhood dream, right? You want to be a professional athlete with a, with a endorsement deal. Um, and I've personally been in the volleyball community for, you know, 20 years now. And, and when I was growing up, Mizuno, actually, when I started with Mizuno, they were 
the national team sponsor. So for me, that was the coolest thing that like a lot of these people I looked up to were wearing Mizuno um, all the time. And, you know, of course I'm seeing the baseball players and the golfers on TV. So it, it was just an honor to be part of such a, a great organization. Um, but when they brought me on the team, uh, it was me and or it still is me and April Ross and to be in a great company like April is, has been amazing to, you know, be in touch with her and um, represent Mizuno alongside with her. Uh, I, I think she's probably the, the most elite athlete that we have in our sport. I mean, on a global stage as well, the way that she, she goes about her business in terms of training and professionalism, but also off the court. She's just a great person to be around and to be on the team with. But it's been a great partnership. Obviously, you want to partner with someone who's a brand that you like their apparel. And I've been wearing their stuff for, I want to say, six years now, plus when I was playing indoors. Uh, so it, it's been a big part of my life and a big part of my style. And uh, it's just an honor. That's so exciting. So I guess... I have two more quick questions. As a Mizuno guy now, what is next for you in the future? And then after that, I would also like to hear a book or two that you have read that you've enjoyed and has helped you in your mentality. I think for me, I want to get them to the next level on the men's side. You know, April's been in the Olympics and whatnot, but they haven't had a male athlete on the beach playing in the Olympics. So I, I want to have that logo on my shorts when I go to the Olympics next year. And I, I want to, you know, do well. They, they've done a lot for me and, and I want to make sure that I can follow through for them as well. And in terms of a book, one of the books, it's really simple. And it's actually one of the first books I read about like sports. It was The Inner Game of Tennis. And it's, it's probably the most simple. I've read a lot since then, but it was the most simple in that it just gave you just I mean, it's a really short book and it just gives you really simple cues to use in terms of just having a non-judgmental mindset. And that, that was kind of the beginning of uh, my sports psychology study that I've been trying to improve on. It's called The Inner Game of Tennis. And it's, it's probably like the most classic sports psychology book out there, but I, I think it's amazing. There's another one actually called The Mindful Athlete. I believe it was by George Mumford who was the sports psychologist for the Chicago Bulls when they were making that run. Nobody really talks about the stuff that happened behind the scenes in terms of him coming in and helping the team with their psychological game and to win, you know, six championships in seven years. Like that's a really long period of time where you have to be on point. So the mindful athlete, it's a good one. Amazing. Well, we appreciate your time so much. We've just got seconds left here. So I just want to say thank you for your time. And this has been a wonderful conversation. It's been great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Chirai was so refreshing to talk to. His mental game is something I aspire to have. He has worked so hard on his ability to stay in the zone during practice and games, as well as having the ability to let go. And it has really paid off. How cool is it that our minds can create physical responses in our body that we can control? I loved hearing more about his thoughts on mental health and mindfulness. I'm going to be checking out the book he mentioned, The Inner Game of Tennis. Me too. And once again, a special thanks to Mizuno for sponsoring this episode of the Sport Fuels Life podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe and consider leaving us a review so others can find us more easily. It means a lot to us and helps us get the word out. 
Plus, we're always on the hunt for new stories to share here on our show. If you know someone who would be an amazing guest, tell us their story by nominating them at our website, sportfuelslife.com. Thanks for listening.